Today is Wednesday, the 21st of June. It's 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Again, that makes it 11, wait, 10 a.m. on the West Coast. I'll figure this out at some point. This is Market Call. Dan Nathan Gaiadami. A couple minutes. Carter Braxton, worth of worth charting, will be joining us. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, Dan. Financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. Um, I'm powered by a great outing by Garrett Cole last night. A game, obviously, listen. Hard to say they're must-win games in June, but after coming off four straight losses, the Yankees righted the ship last night against the Mariners. Good effort. They still got to get the bats going, but hey, get on the winning side of the ledger. While the Mets, who were looking to make it two straight against the Astros, fell in Houston, uh, that game was dominated by their starting pitcher. And Justin Verlander seems extraordinarily mediocre this year. That's not what we're here to talk about, but I figured I'd bring it up. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. I think the eyes glazed over just a little yeah, bit there. No, I, understand. I know, I know. And we know that you do it on purpose. Um, today is one of those days in the markets, guy, where I just have a sneaking suspicion it's not going to go the way that I hope. I, I mean, we have an S&P that's down a half a percent. We mm-hmm. have the NASDAQ 100s down 1.3%. We know what's leading to the downside. There was a Tesla downgrade. We're going to hit the chart on that um, in a little bit. Um, there was, um, I don't even know what's going on in semis, but it's kind of like maybe like what we've been talking about, everyone heading for the door at the same time. I think we talked yesterday on Market Call. Be careful of some of these names that they just got to, like an Intel that you was brought it up specifically said. Intel and look yeah, at it today. And- I mean, listen, it, it's kind of like a, a LIFO situation, last in, first out sort of thing, right? So we talk about that idea of weak hands, right? So when you're chasing a mania, and that's clearly what a lot of folks have been doing um, in the market over the last few weeks, they try to broaden it out. They try to find things that have been left for dead that might have some value that may be able to kind of just benefit from rising tides, lifting all boats. And, and look what we have here. So, uh, you know, to me, uh, I, I, I'm not that optimistic that this becomes a thing. Why, Guy? Because, you know, it just hasn't, you know, we haven't seen yeah. sustained selling for multiple days in a very long time. So, but, you know, sooner or later, that's going to break. That All right. So break. Friday, obviously, the market sold off, not in a precipitous way, yeah. but it sold off. Monday was a holiday. Yesterday, the market had a bit of a sell-off. Uh, and today, at least for now, you have an S&P that's down, as you mentioned, half a percent. NASDAQ down a little more than a percent. So, Three days in a row. Again, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it at all, given the rallies that we've seen. It would be completely disingenuous to do that. And by the way, and I'm sure we'll talk about this with Carter, uh, you have a VIX trading at $13.40 down. Again, I don't want to quote it in percentage, but it's down 3.5%. I mean, this is the lowest levels we've seen in a while. I will tell you, because he's probably listening, um, and I obviously appreciate that, and we appreciate his work. Doug Cass sent uh, an article to us earlier today and he said, you have to read it. And I read it three different times. And each time I gleaned something a little bit more from it. But in a nutshell, you know, all the things we've seen, we've been talking about passive investing in a while and the power of that. And obviously now these zero to day option expiry things that are seemingly taking over in terms of volume. I think more than 50% of the option volume is now that. It's setting up for something, uh, you know, and I hate to say it because people are going to be your doomsdayer, but it's setting up for something dramatic to happen in the market. And dramatic is not 22 handles in the S&P. It's not, you know, down one-tenth of 1% in the, in the Dow. And it's not even down 1.2% in the NASDAQ. Um, it's something obviously a little worse than that. So to your earlier point, when everybody looks for the exit doors, it's going to be sloppy. And by the way, these zero-day to, ed- zero to expiry options 
they're great on the upside when everybody's buying. If they if they somehow flip and start playing the market on the negative side, you know, people are going to start blaming yep. them for the moves. But it's the same thing only in reverse. So I think your point is well taken. You're not making a big deal out of this, but there are obviously things to be concerned about. Yeah, and just to be clear, um, the the article that uh, was forwarded to us by uh, Doug Cass it was um, from Larry McDonald, and it was uh, talking about the mechanical bid. He mm -hmm. is uh, the author of the Bear Traps Report, so you can find that online. And he was talking about a lot of the things, guy, that you've been talking about for a very long time as far as passive investing and. Um, you know, so he's called it the great hijacking. It's a really good article. And Doug also forwarded us um, a tweet from a guy named Nick. Uh, Matt, I'm going to murder his name and I know him and I was on a podcast with him. He's a really smart guy. Nick, Nick Maggioli. Um, and I was on uh, the, the Reform Brokers pod uh, with him a couple months ago. But this this was making the rounds. And I, I think this is really interesting. Number of stocks accounting for the S&P 500's gains by year. And we talk a lot about the narrowness of this rally of late. We've been talking a little bit about how uh, the bulls will say we're seeing it broaden out a little bit. But just look at this in the context of the last five years and, and what percentage of the S&P 500 made up the gains right now. Seven stocks or one percent of the S&P 500 is making up for basically all the gains of the index. And you know, you put all those other pieces together, and you start saying to yourself, there are some things here that don't feel particularly natural. And I get it. You know, we hear all the time how it's different this time. It's never different, people. Just you know, you just gotta kind of wait it out here. And and we were just on our fast money call. A lot of you guys know that we do a 12:30 call with our producers, the 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 rest of the panelists, and 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 Melissa, the host. And uh, at the end of the call, you know, my friend Karen, uh, who I love to death, she said, Dan, and she said, she was saying it seriously. I don't know if you heard this guy. I she, did. She goes, it's your time to shine today. You know, NVIDIA and, uh, and, and, and Tesla are down a lot. And I was like, there, there is no, there's nothing left to shine here, people. I mean, what's happened in these two stocks has absolutely murdered me in, in just a, a matter of a couple of weeks here. And again, that's unnatural. And, you know, what, what is the Buffett saying? That the markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And, and that's the trick, man. They always murder you on, on the most irrational ones at the very end here. So I don't know. Thoughts on that guy? No, it's exactly right. Uh, in terms of, you know, it's you're not taking, nor would you, but nobody's taking victory laps on a day no. where you have Tesla down, NVIDIA down. I mean, these no. things have been a straight line up. Again, which I'll is buy you know what there, and you know it, but and I'll say this because it's important. If you've been long the stock for the move, um, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, the reasons why it's up really don't matter. I mean, your account's going to be obviously positive regardless of the reasons why. Just understand though that the reasons why, again, in my opinion, are not the healthiest of reasons. So the rug pull could be significant. That's the only concern that I've had all along. That. Listen, I, we want people to make money. And if you've been long the stocks, it doesn't, again, the reason why you're making money doesn't necessarily matter. But just understand, bull markets have a way of making everybody look like a genius. And sometimes it's just blind luck. I'll say this as well, you know, going back to that other slide real quick. I mean, if you see, it is just seven stocks. You know, we get pushback on this all the time, but the math is what it is. I mean, there are a handful of stocks accounting for the majorities of the gains in the S&P. The problem, of course, is those handful of stocks have gotten themselves extraordinarily expensive on a vast array of metrics, which again, don't matter until they do. So it's important to point these things out. We're not making a big deal out of a couple days lower because it's, again, doesn't make sense. But I'll say this, a VIX with a 13 and a half handle, um, that 
it looks great and people want to say, well, that's really bullish. I actually think that's somewhat nefarious and I'm choosing that word, Dan. Well, it's also interesting the VIX N, which is the NASDAQ volatility index. I mean, that thing is, is 19 and a half and its recent lows are, you know, 18, you know, in, in a quarter. And it was, you know, back in October when it was at its lows, it was at 40. So that thing's pretty subdued. All right, let's do it. It's time. Bring it's, them in. It's Wednesday. This could be Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Damn. Carter, welcome, buddy. What's going on? <laughs> you're still yeah. on your European vacation, bud. Like, look at what? you. You're no, still working, working. I, I know you're lot, working. We appreciate you time. But I think, can, can you, you give know, us? Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. I was just the one headline today. They've just approved cell-based chicken, so you can now. You can now. Know it's so means. gross. You know, I never. I'm on record. I never had a Beyond Burger or whatever the hell that stuff is. Never. I never once. And uh, why? Why have half a quarter of a real one if you're feeling like you don't need to eat a full I one? Like that. But either way, now they got cell-based chicken and it's approved and legal, and you're going to start getting chicken grown in a dish with no head and no legs. You just grow the breast right there. That sounds disgusting. All right, so part, disgusting. Just, you have you have been working the last couple of weeks. We do appreciate you dropping in, and you're 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 seeing a lot of uh, accounts, a lot of um, counterparties of yours who are. Subscribers and, and customers that we're charting in Europe, and and it's interesting, you know, if I look at the Euro stocks um, fifty, it trades really well. Okay, it's been consolidating over the last. Like, what what's the mood in Europe here? Because you know we've been waiting for this recession to happen. Europe is officially in a recession. Their stock market doesn't really seem to care. So I'm just curious, like, what is the mood of the European investor? And I know a lot of the investors that you're meeting with over there are are. are you know, interested in the U.S. markets. That's. I'm just curious, like, what the mood is. Is it as euphoric as it is right here in the U.S.? Sure. Well, it never quite ever gets that euphoric. Um, we know that, obviously, European bourses in general, the stocks, 50 of the stocks, 600, are more value-based. There's a lot, uh, almost no technology uh, per se. It's heavily weighted, of course, to big banks, in many cases, zombie banks that are always uh, sort of struggling, uh, big, heavy pharmaceuticals like Roche and Novartis, um, a, a few, but but no 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 tech per se, big, big telco, tobacco and that kind of thing. But the mood changes as it does everywhere. I think uh, the main thing is is that all the world knows that as as uh, let's say equities as an asset class have come a long way since the March low, and uh, a lot of people are are putting hedges on, and I think that's appropriate. We brought our charts with us. We have charts from you, but it's like quickly take a look at the S&P chart. You know, we do this every day, so people are getting probably sick of it, and they know what it looks like, but we might as well look at it here. We drew that horizontal line. That was obviously the prior high from August of last year. We traded through it marginally, but traded through it nonetheless. We seem to be doing a back and fill and testing it. Does this say anything to you? We also pointed out, by the way, the moving average is obviously trending higher now, which is a good sign. The negative, of course, is you know a standard deviation or two away from the moving average. So I think if you look at this, there's something for the bears and there's something for the bulls. What say you? Right. The first thing about uh, a prior reference points is it, it's time and price. Not a lot of uh, capital changed hands on that August one day high, right? So as a level of support per se, it doesn't really exist. But it is important that the euphoria then was very similar to now. In fact, as you'll recall, at that point, there were a lot of pieces published that we had retraced 50% of the drop from the peak. 
and that any time that it happened, you retraced more than 50%, you went on to make new highs. Of course, what happened was it proceeded to drop 20% and make new lows right in October. And so we have a euphoric situation similar to that. Um, the question is, if and as we correct, dip, sell off, decline, drop, uh, how far do we go? We're certainly a day or two into what would appear by all accounts to be just that. And uh, that's then uh, where where's the reference point? It's not that August high per se. It's really those intermediate tops from February and March all mm -hmm. centered around 4,200, uh, 41. So somewhere between there and uh, where the moving average comes into play. So or Carter the uptrend line, which you might have in the next chart. Yeah, so that, that 150 day moving average at 50 or 40, 54 ish or something like that. Again, you know, like that's just, it's going to be basically at that consolidation period that we had from mm -hmm. April and May, which seems like a very reasonable sort of place to pull back. I, I will also say this though, and we, we mentioned this guy, despite our kind of bearish sort of fundamental takes, we've noticed, you know, and mentioned that, that this chart is very constructive. Yeah. I mean, if, if, you, if, if we didn't know all the stuff that we think we know about the economy and the lag effects of the rate hikes and all this sort of stuff, the, the S&P, you know, it's fine. OK, but look at this Nasdaq, Carter, and you just use the term euphoric. I mean, that is euphoric. And, and then if we just want to kind of go over towards the, the SMH, the, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor index. OK, again euphoric and we know what was driving that and, and so talk to us a little bit about how you know the S&P could still be okay on a check back to let's say 4,000 but the NASDAQ if it were to check back for any real reasons or the SMH that that it could overshoot and and, and so I'm just curious your thoughts on that or is that kind of a silly way to think about this no, it, it, obviously, it's always ever and one thing. It's where you are in relation to where you've been. Uh, current price juxtaposed against past price. And support, of course, is not just that one reference point in August. Support is really down at 1,300, which is a lot uh, further down on a percentage basis than it would be for a similar level on the S&P. But that's simply a function of how well this is done, right? How steep and uncorrected the move has been. And it really is just about sequencing. Uh, if you're If you're bullish, Let's say you're really bullish and you um, believe that actually we there is no recession, that uh, we have had our bear market, 27% in the S&P is no joke, 37% in the NASDAQ 100, and that we are on our way to uh, important new highs and durable highs lasting 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, and it's all about new technology and AI and whatever it might be. Well, you want it to correct. That That's elemental. If you're bearish, you want it to correct because you think it's not going to be a correction. It's going to be the beginning of a more serious sell-off. Point being that down is good for anyone. If one thinks that going up and up and up from here is bullish, that is not bullish because that's the difference between that moment when a piece of succulent fruit is ripe, riper, ripest, and then one little bit later, it's rotten and the fruit flies are spinning around. So you don't want to get too ripe and we're getting awfully close or we are there, of course, in the NASDAQ 100. Let's take a look at a couple semi names. We have obviously uh, the broader chart, but let's AMD, for example, Dan, we have NVIDIA chart as well, but I want to look at AMD first because it's a pretty dramatic move over the last week or so um, where NVIDIA has just been a straight line until today. But look at this AMD move again over the last, I don't know, week and a half, two weeks. I bring it up, Carter, because seemingly it's important for me to say that that gap that was created with that spike higher has been filled. I can't do it to the penny like you can, but you've, your eye can see that. So I'll ask you a couple of questions. A, is that enough 
uh, or does this portend something else? And then we're looking at an NVIDIA chart, which looks a little bit different because we've come there nowhere close to filling that gap. So thoughts here real quick. Right. Each one is different, but the principles are the same. If we were to simply uh, hold aside the gap for a second, what we know is from the low, the advance has been very sequential, right? The October, November thrust, the December pullback, the January, February thrust, the March pullback, and so forth and so on. And so this is very sequential. Now, where a dip, a sell-off, a decline, a correction ends, um, hard to know, but we do have some reference points here. In this case, the August high, which also lines up fairly well with the March-April high and also lines up with a, a gap fill, we're, we're kind of at the 110 level plus minus, where at a minimum, three things start to happen, right? Those who happen to sell at or near the high, 128, 129, 131, they start seeing this, say, my God, we sold at 130, 131. We can buy this back at 110. That represents buying interest. Two, those who shorted dumb luck or brilliance up at 129, 130, 131, they start to see 110 like, man, we've made some money. We probably should cover this. That represents buying interest. And three, those who were going to get long and pull the trigger as the stock was moving above 100 and starting to toy with the August high but never did and then, quote, missed it as mm -hmm. it gapped open and went up to 130, their memory, they're anchored to that 110 level where they were going to do it, but didn't pull the trigger. And that that crowd is now seeing, my God, this is where we really were wanting to buy it, but missed it. All of the things I just described represent buying, not selling. And that's what coming down to a level of import is all about. Let me jump in here real quick, Dan. And we have a couple other things we want to do. But just let me say this. Take your eye back to early May when AMD traded down to $81. If you recall... That's the day they reported earnings. Dan and I had this conversation on Fast Money the other night, but the stock that day, AMD, closed around 89 bucks. They reported a disappointing quarter, um, which they've done before. It's not out of the realm for them. Stock was immediately down to 81. Stock traded down 10% in a straight line. What saved the stock was, I think, the next day, May 5th-ish, uh, they announced this partnership or relationship or whatever with Microsoft. They were going to make chips to compete with NVIDIA. From that, it was off to the races. Stock rallied more than 50% on the back of that. It was nothing fundamental whatsoever. So when I talk about you know, the histrionics of the market and some of the absurdity, AMD is in a nutshell. And that's not to say it's not a great company, but that move from 80 to 130 was all hype, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, well, and that was kind of one of the reasons why I, I remember how the stock was trading after they gave Q2 guidance. It went from $89 to $80 in two trading days. And, you know, all of a sudden you see this thing ricocheting back up towards its 52-week highs. And then that gap that it just filled in was up in sympathy with that NVIDIA guide. So to me, you know, I, I think there's a very strong likelihood that you see this thing kind of go back towards $100. And at that point, Carter's 150 day moving average might be there in the low 90s or something like that. It might be kind of falling in line with that uptrend that's been in place from, you know, early this year, like all those sorts of things. That's why we spend so much time. Obviously, Carter is the technician. We use technicals as an input. And one of the reasons why we think we benefit a great deal um, from having his expertise on the market call. All right, Carter, let's talk to another one that is steep and uncorrected to use uh, worth charting lingo here. That would be the Tesla, man. I mean, this thing was downgraded today um, at Barclays. You know, it wasn't enough that the company guided down in late April and gave what I thought was a really poor outlook. Some of the data that I'm looking about inventories, about wait times, about backlogs, they're not better than they were just a few uh, couple months ago when the stock 
was trading 150, but the stock went on this kind of, I don't know, 150 to where, where did it get to 280 or something like that. And, and kudos to the analyst willing to kind of pull the trigger on this thing. Um, but this is unnatural. And when you think about how much market cap was gained from late April until just, just this morning, hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap for a company whose fundamentals are not particularly improving in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have uh, talk about sequencing, right? You have a double originally, right? From that uh, low in January, 100, 200 quite quick. And then it gives back a great deal, uh, 50% down to 150. And we almost get another double, right? From the May low of 150 to almost uh, 300. We didn't quite make it before this uh, reversal today, but uh, steep, uncorrected. And um, unnatural because of the lack of variance in the trading. I mean, it is just tick, in fact, it was some 14 days, 15. I don't really remember the count where it was positive. And that is unnatural because there's always stock being sold, but the buying interest, the shares interested in uh, capitalists and buying new shares so overwhelm the selling that they're able to push the stock higher and higher uh, without regard for price. And that new buyers coming in without regard for price, um, neither uh, appreciating maybe the, some of the things that you just mentioned uh, in terms of the fundamentals, but also just the sheer angle of the line. Uh, so buy, sell, hold, it always gets down to that. I'm a seller. People are asking in the chat and listen, I try to address it. The problem is, you know, I, I try to scroll through the chat while we're doing the show and I'm not that bright as I'm sure most people come to realize. So like, and people are saying you don't answer questions. I mean, we do effort to answer questions. Um, so we do our best. And Amanda sort of goes through this as well. But, you know, one of the things people are saying, you know, we're talking about fundamentals to justify bad trades. We're not justifying anything. I mean, we've been pretty outspoken about our views being wrong for a period of time. We don't like being wrong. I mean, we take no joy in being wrong directionally. I mean, we're right sometimes or wrong sometimes. It's just it is what it is. But fundamentals at some point do matter. So we point out fundamentals just to try to, as an explainer, as to why things can at some point reverse very quickly. If these stocks were reasonably valued or if the broader market was reasonably valued in this environment, we'd have a much different conversation. And, you know, Jerome Powell spoke today. I don't know if that's why the market is selling off, but, you know, they continue to be to, to reiterate this extraordinarily hawkish stance, which again, has had no impact on the market in a negative way. But, you know, what I've said for a while is it's there's an inevitability to it. Now, it's taken longer than I thought, but that's where we are. So I appreciate the comments, but, you know, I don't know what else well, to say. I mean, we're pretty transparent. I think the one you're talking about, this is, um, I don't know, SM2022. He's saying, Dan, talking about fundamentals to justify bad trades. Well, what else are you going to do? I mean, like, so how do you enter trades? What is your process? What are the things that you identify opportunities for? You know, some people... Carter just looks at charts and he's got a process and it's worked over decades. And um, to me, you know, as somebody who's a bit more of a generalist, I, I use lots of different inputs, but I'm usually attracted to a story because of fundamentals, right? Because of like the way I think a company is positioned for a product cycle. Maybe that has something to do with the valuation of the company, uh, the underappreciation of that product or service that they're going to introduce and, you know, like what that means for their earnings. And then how do I use technicals? Well, I use them as in puts for entry and exit points. I use them to help inform strikes on whether it be for options trades or for futures trade. You know, I mean, like there's a whole host of things. Carter, you meet with 
all sorts of investors who have all different sorts of processes. You know what you do really well, and that's charts, and that and that's what you do. And I like to use lots of different inputs. So, I, you know, again, it'd be like someone saying, "Well, you're just blaming a bad trade on the chart." Well, no, that's not really the case. I think all of it has to do with uh, each other. And you've made this point, Carter, to me on many occasions over the last ten plus years that you and I have been talking markets and, and charts and that sort of thing. And oftentimes the technicals will move ahead of some fundamental news. Talk to us a little bit about that because that's what you start to see in the data that you're looking at. And it is a lot of pattern recognition, correct? Sure, almost always. Well, it gets down to, in terms of technicals, does one accept or not accept the concept that there's wisdom in price? The government accepts it. Prices, stock prices are part of the leading indicator index. And quite often, uh, more often than not, prices lead um, the fundamentals. In fact, you can track, there's a, an inverse correlation between price targets on Wall Street and price. I mean, this, it's the thinking is that a company that's trading at $20, the analysts raise their price target to 23, and then the stock jumps. It's exactly the opposite. The price moves first and the analysts are constantly chasing uh, the price. I was a fundamental analyst. That's what I did. That's why I changed course. I said, I don't like this. Uh, no one can predict earnings. The quarterly game is a, is become a joke. And uh, it, it, look, charts have their error rate too, but it's nothing like the error rate of trying to predict the cash flow and earnings and then try to assign a price target to those looking out 24 months. It is not yeah. doable. All right. Well, here's one name. <laughs> Again, uh, the fundamentals seem to be uh, kind of mixed. This was FedEx. They reported last night after the close. They talked about um, some some weak demand, but there was also some like they're 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 doing better on the cost front, right? Um, so you know the stock is down a few percent today. It's had a big run off those lows. It's up 33 or so percent on the year, actually into the printer. So you saw the level in which it kind of got rejected at. That was the high um, from last summer or so. But Carter, this got you thinking a little bit about the transports um, as a group. This is a big component of the transports. It's obviously a fairly cheap stock, especially relative to many of its peers, but also the broad market. And I'm just curious, like walk us through a little bit how you're thinking about the transports and how it fits into this broader context of, of the of the market, which, again, you know, it's grinding a little bit here at these levels. Um, but you're looking at the transports because um, there's this old thing called the Dow theory or something or other. Here. Right. That's right. And then uh, last night's work uh, discussed that in detail. But uh, because we have FedEx's earnings, that was the genesis of discussing the broader transportation average. Uh, what we do know, of course, and is that it's a price weighted index, which is a bit curious, right? So it's not about market cap. For instance, ODFL, a trucking company with a $35 billion market cap has a has a weighting that's, you know, three times, five times that of Union Pacific, even though Union Pacific's market cap is five times of ODFL. While one would think that's curious, and it is, if you look at the Dow Jones Industrials, which has the same price weighting versus market cap weighting, the Dow Industrials and the S&P are in lockstep for 30 years. So how one constructs an index sometimes isn't that important. But as it relates to the transports, um, there are no lines on this, and you can see it, but let's put some in. This is the first iteration. Uh, you know, pair of twos. Strength, how about I'll say something that is elemental. So elemental is to be obvious, so obvious is to be stupid. Strength helps the pattern. Weakness hurts the pattern. And one can say, what the hell is that? 
That's the reality. So rather than presuppose, hey, I think it's going to break out. Let's get long. I think it's going to fail here. And let's get a good linebacker reacts to the ball. Doesn't think too hard, right? These are typically not road scholars. So not making fun of football. I loved high school football. It's one of my favorite times of my life. But the point is, let's just react to the ball here. Let's not try to overthink it. If it's strength and it gets above the line, okay, we play. If it starts to break down, we play. For now, pair of twos. Let's pull, pull this back. Look at longer term. Pair of twos. I got the COVID low in there. Look how well. Pull it back again, um, even longer term. So it's a big standoff here. And the question is, does the sell-off from that peak, and interesting, that spike peak, because it's price-weighted, was an Avis, symbol CAR, got mm -hmm. to $500 a share, became a meme stock, and actually influenced uh, the Dow Jones transportation average. But pull it back again, and we can keep pulling it back, pull it back again. And basically, you know, is this sell-off enough or does it have to be more in line with some of the more severe ones? The more severe ones, of course, the financial crisis, 09, here's even further back. Um, for now, uh, this is, it's not at highs. And Dow theory uh, needs this to get to new highs, just as it would need the Dow Jones Industrial to get to new highs. And that is uh, not anything that's imminent. These pennant formations, if you look back over time, I mean, they've, they've, we've seen them before. Each time... I'm just looking at it being that it's lower left to upper right. My sense is it's resolved itself with a breakout through the downtrend line. And here we are now. So maybe, listen, maybe that happens and maybe that sort of reinforces uh, the overall broader markets view. We'll see. But I think it's important to point out because regardless of what you think about this new economy, and obviously it's now a tech driven economy, transport still matter, Dan. Um, so I think it's important to take a look at this and we'll obviously continue to monitor this, but you know, the FedEx was a one-off. We'll see. We had talked about FedEx the other day. It had had a pretty significant run off those recent lows. So I guess this move lower makes a little bit of sense. But, you know, it's worth monitoring for sure. Yeah, it looks like there's room back to that uptrend. That that, But the, the quarter and the guide wasn't a disaster. Hey, one last thing, Carter, before we let you go uh, back there in London, I'm sure you're headed right to the pub. Um, but we had the SX, that time. We had the XS, the SX5E, which is the, the Euro stocks 50. And, and the folks, our, our peeps made that for us really quickly. Look at this on a five-year basis. Um, kind of interesting, right? Like if, if you think like where we were, um, it's right mm -hmm. back at a level. How's that thing look to you? Yeah, I mean, uh, for instance, let's just say, you know, would you rather if you could in, in remember the best trading of all, not, that's the wrong word, the sort of conservative thing you do is pair trading. Does one want to, buy this and get short the SPY. I think that's good technique, right? This has gone to a former high and then is now coiling and contending with, which is good sequencing before ultimately what should be a breakout to new highs. Um, I like this and I would pair it against an SPY short. And I'll tell you something and it will let, well, let's let him go. By the way, Carter, I just sent you a link to that restaurant. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah. Zeferano which is a fantastic Italian restaurant. I, I don't know what, what you use five hours ahead or six. I always five. use. So five. 630, you still have time. If you can get in there for dinner, mention my name, you'll get a good seat. Although I haven't <laughs> been there in probably 20 years. I want to thank the great Carter worth while he's on a business trip for joining us on this Wednesday. Thanks dubs. Thanks Bye, guys. Dubs. Thanks. Thanks. Worth um, charting. No emojis, no hearts, just charts. He's the bitch. Man. You know what? And he, <laughs> He's been traveling all over. I, I, you know, it's funny. And, and I, it was really interesting. You know, I spent two years, 2000 and 2001 um, in London and I was trading U.S. stocks and I actually would get into the office at like 
one in the afternoon and it was there until like nine, nine 30 mm-hmm. at night. It wasn't a great setup. I was a young man uh, back then and we'd head out to the pub at like nine 15, nine 30. So it wasn't all horrible. Um, but it's interesting that he said that the, when I asked him about the sentiment and the euphoria they're, they're they don't have the, like the crazy, you know, like, like sentiment shifts that we have here in the U S about stocks largely because they don't have all this crazy tech stuff. It's a lot of financials. It's a lot of industrial. It's a lot of pharma, you know, and stuff like that. It's kind of interesting. You used to spend some time over there in the nineties guy. It's like a different mentality. The whole, it's entirely different. I mean, you might as well be on a different planet um, for better or for worse. I mean, I love my time in London for sure. And I would spend weeks at there at a time, um, and I would submit in terms of time zones, it's probably one of the best time zones for what we do, I think, in the world as well. But to your point, to address it, yeah, I mean, they look at markets much differently. I'll say this, though. I mean, you think about what's been going on there, and, and I would have got this one dead wrong, too. But, you know, think about what the ECB has had to do specifically to combat inflation. I mean, their economies, I, I want to use the word disaster, but a little short of disaster. It's clearly struggling, yet they continue to raise rates because inflation is such a problem. But with that said, their market's done well. I mean, so many of these things are completely counterintuitive. And at some point, you know, maybe the market's right, you know, and again, it gets back to that dogma thing, but we'll see. I mean, there are definitely some things to be concerned about. We try to point them out because, you know, instead of coming on with the pom-poms every day, it's important sometimes point out the things that can go wrong and historically have, by the way. It's funny, Guy. I was looking at you when Carter was talking and you were making some faces, but I could see you were like looking into the screen a little bit. And I knew you weren't talking about, you weren't making the faces relative to Carter's No, I was looking at the comments. It was a couple of the comments. And uh, listen, you know, I mean, listen, peeps, we appreciate you being here. Everyone's got their own set of views. I think it's important to recognize. I I always see stuff. Well, CNBC is pumping this or this there's no monolith of CNBC. There's no, there's no like something that comes down and says the people have to speak about this on the network. Trust me, you know, guy, you've been doing, you've been doing it for 16 years. I've been on since 2009, however long that is 14 years or whatever. We've never once been told to say anything about anything. We don't work for them. We are paid contributors. Um, But it's also like, listen, now a lot of people have different venues in which to talk about markets, talk about their positions, talk about their views. And we, respect the fact that other people have different views. And to be frank, I love hearing other people's views, other people who are smart. And, and, and I, I, I think, you know, on the level about the, the stuff that they're doing or whatever, I want to hear what people feel that doesn't agree with mine. It only makes my positioning, you know, like that much. I, I don't know. It almost makes me more thoughtful about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. To you? Danny Moses talks about that all the time. You want to hear the counter for sure, because sure. it makes you, it's a, it's another set of eyes. It's the thing we used to talk about, on trading desk, always, if you have a view on something you want to put on a trade, bring another set of eyes because that person, he or she might see something different than you've seen. And they might obviously with no sort of skin in the game, they might have the emotional attachment to those positions that you do. And again, once you get attached to something, it's easy to look past the flaws. So we do want to hear the counter for sure. And we bring people on all the time. Savita went on fast money last night and talked about it being in her opinion, the best, um, environment in the last decade or so. I don't yeah. agree with that, but it's her opinion and she's entitled to it. Well, I, I, I sat there next to her. I, I, th- I think the world of her, I've known her for a long time. I think she does really great work and I couldn't disagree more with a lot of what she said, but I try to be very respectful about it. And so that, that listen, at the end of the day, you know, you don't see Guy and I on Twitter anymore. It's not a respectful 
discourse uh, for the most part. You know, we're not responding there. So when people come here, I, like, listen, we're trying to build a community. We, res we, we love the fact that you're here. Let's all be uh, respectful. We'll try to hit um, as much as possible, uh, you know, as these comments going forward. And we also have, you know, on Mondays, guys, at, at uh, noon Eastern, we have our market call that's on Sirius XM radio. And you guys should check that out. We're taking calls. Look at that. Look at that. Johnny on the spot. You see, guy, do you have the number memorized? 844-942-7866. Apparently that's like something Wharton or something. Yeah. 844-Wharton. So, so check know. it out on Mondays here, people. We'll be with back tomorrow, guy. Tomorrow will be. Tomorrow, Thursday, we'll be back on Market Call with Elizabeth Young from SoFi. Of course, that's EY. Yes, from so far, I want to thank the great Carter Braxtonworth traveling in Europe, specifically in London. The man does yeoman's work. I don't know what that means, but I'm sure he does it extraordinarily well. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. They're also our data provider, uh, Jacob, Amanda, Stephen, back in HC. And it's somebody's birthday. We have a birthday today, Dan. Oh, Kylie, the intern. Kylie doing a great job this summer. Happy birthday, Kylie. We're going to have a special birthday lunch that she actually picked out today guy yeah, there you go and she yeah. listen just so you don't think we're a bunch of dopes she's actually at yale which you know last yeah. i looked was well, in we actually have a new when you come in tomorrow you we have a new intern so we have millie which you guys have all heard about and she's doing a great job she is at your alma mater georgetown and we also have alex nathan and ellie nathan Stop who are it. Into, yeah they're they're all in the house here um alex is also a hoya and and uh Ellie, well, she's going to be a senior in high school. And so we're going to see where she ends up. Tremendous. Tremendous. I'm looking forward Lots to it. But obviously, listen, we do appreciate the comments. I'm sorry that I'm not able to scroll through and get questions as quickly as I should. That's my bad. But I will do better moving forward. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Thanks.